Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we go where you go to have those mastermind conversations, and aha moments that bring you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, which means you may occasionally hear ambient noises in the background, conversation from the next table, a bird chirping, a vehicle driving by in the distance, or you may be in a place where it's actually kind of quiet, like where we are today as I sit on my couch in my living room with my feline office assistants on either side of me. So today, here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are going to dive in and have a conversation that gives me the chance to geek out a little bit. I love technology. I love trinkets and tools. And this, what we're going to share with you is a bit more than a trinket. I can assure you of that. But I love gadgets. I always have. Uh, And this is going to be a conversation about the use of 3D and VR tools to conduct corporate training that addresses accountability, confrontation, efficiency, and productivity, which can turn difficult situations into opportunities to thrive. Now, I'm entrepreneurial myself, but one of the sweet spots of the Business Creators Radio Show's audience are entrepreneurs who are making the transition from being solopreneurial to being leveraged. That's why we bring in some topics from time to time on company culture and hiring and retaining because these things are very important. To share with us today on these fierce solutions to company cultural challenges, we have Edward Beltran. His resume includes 20 years of expertise in finance and operations, and he's been a leader at a company called Fierce Incorporated since 2017. Fierce is focused on company culture, how to solve cultural changes or challenges in corporate environments, and alleviating stress in corporate communications using 3D and VR. That means three-dimensional virtual reality tools to handle all this. So I'm really, really curious. Let's get this rocking and rolling. Edward Beltran, come on in. The weather's fine. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Adam, and thank you for the great introduction. I'm excited to uh, get our hands dirty and get into these uh, wonderful topics. And I would also love to talk with you, um, in addition to 3D VR, around some innovation we just launched called Pulse by Fierce, which tackles stress in the workplace. We'll get there. We'll get there in a little bit. But before we do, I read off your bio, uh, just a piece of your bio, and it's so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. So what we want to do before we dive in, and I am really, really curious about this model you've created. What we'd like you to do is tell us a bit about your journey and what's in your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to love to to tap into that. So, you know, I came up more on the hard skills side of the house, if you will, having gotten a formal education and undergrad in accounting computer information systems, uh, both of those bachelor degrees, um, going out into public accounting, doing a lot around uh, what are known as business intelligence systems. Basically, back then it was called decision support systems. And then I went and got my MBA after I went through a startup and that was just a successful um, eye-opening experience that made me realize how much I really didn't know, hence me wanting to get my uh, MBA. But even in MBA, you know, the focus was around, okay, hard, tangible skills so I can come out and just get that job with that high salary. 
And so even though there were great programs and discussions around leadership on the soft side, it didn't necessarily resonate for me at that point in my career. It wasn't until I had seen fantastic leaders, great leaders, having done an externship with like Warren Buffett, having supported the CEO of Abnet, which is a uh, $26, $30 billion a year global company. And then going to smaller companies and then seeing the real gap in leadership, right? And it was that it was that contrast that made me sit back in my own development, if you will, and experiences in the workforce, especially as I started getting up higher in the organizations and say, you know, this leadership thing is real, right? These skill sets are real. <laughs> and the difference between good leaders and bad leaders really is an acquired skill set. And when I was looking around for my next opportunity and I ran into fierce. I read Susan Scott's book that was written 20 years ago called Fierce Conversations. And there was a line in that book that said, what conversation did you miss or didn't go well to put you in the place where you're at now in your career or, you know, your personal life? And that just struck me because I never thought in that context before. And when I thought about it, it made so much sense. You're in the workforce and there's things happening all around you daily, right? Someone says something offensive to you. What do you do? Do you walk away harboring these feelings? Do you address it for clarity? Your boss says something about your work performance. You ask for clarity and feedback, or do you walk away? Um, and it was these type of thoughts that I was like, there's something really here. And so that's kind of been my journey, if you will, Adam. And now um, I'm so passionate about figuring out how to give these skill sets to the world in a palpable, palpable way. So just like myself and you and other people, in your audience have had the opportunity to benefit from formal education, you know, not everybody can, nor does everybody have that palpability for how they absorb skills. So hence, you know, people go onto YouTube, they're like, Hey, how do I do this? They learn in five minutes and they go right to it. So for what we do, we believe in its impact. How do we give it to people quicker and faster? So tomorrow they can go out and have an impact on the world. So in a nutshell, it's been my journey, Adam. Thank you. Well, yeah. And I'll tell you that, uh, I've discovered that regardless of whether you're in a quote-unquote corporate culture or whether you uh, have a startup or whether you even are an entirely remote company that has virtual employees and virtual contractors, the corporate culture thing is extremely important. The company culture thing is extremely important. I have watched entrepreneurial ventures crash and burn because of a willful refusal to get their heads wrapped around this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, in this and, and, see, and, and see, in this day and age, and when you look at companies of any size, and yeah, if you're entrepreneurial and you have people working for you, that's a company. You, you have created that. You, uh, you know, back in the old days where the, uh, the tough boss could say, hey, you know what, Edward, if you don't like it, you can go work somewhere else. And here in 2022, Edward can say, cool, see you, and just walk out the door. Yep. In fact, they even have terms for that. Uh, Some call it the great resignation. I call it the great realignment. Uh, That's just because of my view on what's really going on there. But all the same, as entrepreneurs, part of the reason that we became entrepreneurial was the ability to not have a boss who could ever think that they could get away was saying something like, well, if you don't like it, you, you can leave. You know, I had a client once say, well, if you don't, if you don't like how I want to do things, you can get another client. And I'll say, cool, I already have one. Bye. <laughs> Boy, that was liberating the first time I got to do that. <laughs> I love that. I love that confidence, Adam. And, you know, on that note, um, I'm a big fan of Reed Hoffman. And um, for those who follow him, one of the things that he says is that in your company culture, your first 15 employees basically cement your culture. And one of the things that we teach that's eye-opening for companies that have tons and tons of employees is them realizing that they are the culture. Like you yeah. are the culture. It's not somebody sitting in an office or HR saying, hey, here's where the culture is going to be. Like you are the culture. And when, for people, that's real fuzzy. But then when you break it down and, 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 and especially if they ask, well, how am I the culture? I don't have control over this and that then you say exactly, I'll use your example there, Adam. So your boss said something to you that made it sound like it was take it or leave it. Or he said something that was ambiguous. What did you do about that? Oh, I did nothing. Okay. 
Well, you are empowered. You're empowered to be able to ask for clarity. You're empowered to be able to provide your boss with feedback because the science says, and this is based on an HBR article, that 95% of people think they're self-aware, the 10 to 15% really are, right? I mean, this is hard data. So if you use those statistics in your day in day life and you take that assumption that, you know, maybe the boss isn't self-aware of how he's coming off and the impact that he's making. And so if you take that approach and you take the ownership that you are the culture, you engage your environment in a different way that impacts you and those around you. Right. And leaving aside the conversation that there's a way to do that that's value adding versus a way to do that that's controversial and counter or actually um, confrontational <laughs> and counterproductive. And I think a lot of us have through our own process of developing our skills when it comes to being communicators, been on both sides of that that thing at least once or twice. Uh, I don't think anybody's <laughs> perfect. In fact, what I like to say as a podcast host, as I say to our listeners, I am your voice, which is why I tell stories about things that have happened to me and even things that I've done that weren't exactly my finest hour. And here's why I do it. <laughs> it actually has to do with culture. See, folks are programmed to only show their highlight reels and to keep that and to keep all the other stuff laying on the cutting room floor. And then there's this other layer of, well, gee, what would, what would happen if word got out that I'm not as successful an entrepreneur as some people think I am, that uh, my mom thinks I'm a millionaire, but I'm really not. Well, hey, I have a lot of candid conversations with a lot of entrepreneurs. Welcome to the club, pal, number one. <laughs> number, number, two, number two, how we get to be so good is by experience. And you always have the opportunity to learn. Uh, you will continue to have faux pas as you go along. You will uh, have times when, how, I mean, I'll just come out and say you'll just go off on somebody. And even going into it, you know that it's not the right thing to do or, you know, however you define right, but it happens. And so you can beat yourself up over it or you can discover the lessons from it that will make you a better communicator, a better leader of culture, a better influencer. And that's why I share these stories and I am your voice. Listeners, I say this, I am your voice. Because you may not be in a situation where you feel you're able to say it because you may actually be in a cultural situation that it could be very desultory for this to get out about you. But if I say it, you can point to me and say, hey, you know what? Me too. I, that, that, that happened to me as well. Or yeah, I've been through that sort of same thing. And without having to own the story yourself, we can walk together and we can discover an opportunity for you to still gain the learning and the evolution from the experience without having to process it publicly. I love that, Adam. That is, uh, that is, that is wonderful. And I love what you, what you just said, because in the backbone of that, you're talking about moving or making the shift from being insecure to being more confident. Let's face it. We're all insecure, right? Oh, yeah. The question is, what, what's severity? And I, I, I use that word because, honestly, from the outside looking in, that's always been the key differentiator between what I consider great leaders and bad leaders, right? Yes. Great leaders, as I'm sure you know, Adam, don't have to have all the answers. No one's asking you to be perfect or have all the answers. That's not what your job is. And, and when you accept that, when you accept that you're on a learning path just like everybody else, then you move from that insecurity toward confidence and confidence comes from just like what you said, which is learning and being on other with other people on the journey. And uh, yeah, I love it. Wow. What a great, what a great service you, uh, you provide for your listeners, Adam. That's great. Well, think, well, think, think of it this way. Uh, do you remember at some point, I don't know what your situation was growing up. So I'm going to use standard terms here. Uh, do you um, remember that day that you found out that your parents actually weren't perfect <laughs> keep going yes <laughs> you know you know you know you know you know what i'm talking about uh, mm -hmm. so many so in so many cases children are raised and they're told that their parents will always act in their best interest and will always get it right 
But the fact is you're mm-hmm. dealing with human beings like anyone else. So when you get told over and over and over again that your parents always know what's good for you, they, they've they seen it before, they know all the answers, and all you have to do is listen to them, and then you find out that they fuck up as much as anybody else. <laughs> That's but, right, but, exactly. But that, but, yeah, but now imagine, because they're human beings, and human beings are chemically chaotic, and it's part of the condition. It's not that, that that wasn't a criticism. That's just me stating a fact. So yeah. what if you knew all along your parents weren't perfect? What if there was a mutual feedback loop or an understanding mechanism where you and your parents from the very beginning understood that there's always something new to learn and there's always a new opportunity for growth? And neither one of you is always going to get it, quote unquote, right every time. That might take away that moment where you say, oh, goodness gracious, they're just human beings like everybody else. Oh, I thought I could count on something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I, I, I love your, your analogy that they're out of my fact, I'm probably going to use it going forward. <laughs> but I think what the, the crossover analogy is, which I firmly believe in, is that in organizations, the traditional model of putting a lot of pressure on managers to have all the answers to the employees doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. There's no possible way you could have all the answers for your employees' needs. It's impossible. Right. So first first off, knowing that you're going to make mistakes and you're on a learning journey, like what you said, is just incredible. And I totally believe into that. The next step is it's okay for you to be the, the triager or the quarterback, if you will, to be able to hand off or help people uh, look for what they need that's outside of your wheelhouse. You know, that's a little bit past what my expertise are. Here's some other resources for you, right? Yeah. Well, I'm actually curious here, and normally I don't dive into this part of the conversation this early in the episode, but because of what Fierce Incorporated has created, I am going to ask now, and just in your own words and in some detail, what is it that you do? I gave a little taste, but if you could explain it in your own words, because this is, to me, revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Fierce Conversations, as I mentioned before, is based on a book written by Susan Scott. And really what it does is instead of just giving the theory of, oh, you got to give feedback to your boss or never leave a meeting without getting clarity. That, that's theory, right? For most people, <laughs> they, leaving, they need... a, leaving a meeting without getting clarity. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, you hear I'll, I'll, I'll have to remember that when I'm telling jokes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But but that's the problem. And that's where a lot of our technologies come into play as well, which is how do you give people the tangibility for them to get clarity, for them to give feedback to their boss and the confidence to do it? So we have uh, conversation modules that will help people in any interpersonal engagement that they need in their professional lives and their personal lives, as we mentioned before, feedback, accountability, how you delegate, how you confront when necessary, how you coach, how you run a team meeting, right? So that's really critical as well. Because there's a lot of wasted time in meetings these days. And so we actually have scripts, if you will, that help you build up each of these areas and then the step-by-step on how to have it. So let me give you just a quick, just kind of example, and we could dive deeper as, as you like. So again, it's one thing to say, hey, oh, give feedback to your boss or give feedback to your employees, but many people don't do it right. So first and foremost, you have to base it on observable behavior. So instead of saying like, hey, you seem angry in that meeting, it's, you know, that meeting, it seemed like, you know, you raised your voice a couple of times at these points, and I wasn't really clear what was happening there for, uh, in those moments. Can you tell me what was showing up for you? So that's a lot different than one, using generalities, generalities, and then two, being more pointed in quote unquote feedback. Instead, it's a conversation. It's an engaging scenario because our research has found, Adam, that 90, 90, 90% of the time, it's a misunderstanding. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I was really pressured before I came into this meeting and I didn't mean to raise my voice. Thank you for letting me know. Awesome. Or, you know, you're right. I appreciate that. I'm going to be more cognizant of it. Like just to give you an example, but we provide these step-by-steps on how to have it. And based on our research, it not only shows the most effectiveness of it, but we also connect it with reduced stress. Okay. So what are these 3D simulations 
look like? Uh, I mean, and do they have the possibility to replace in-person training. I mean, what does the person see? Do they see like an avatar of a human being speaking? Is it like uh, the computer that said, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that? Or what does this look like? It's just like a game. So a video game, you pick your players and you're entered into a world and you're actually navigating the conversation. You're actually picking what direction you want to go and go in. And depending on how it's set up, you uh, suffer the consequences of going down the wrong, wrong path or the benefits of going down the right path. So for example, I'd like love to share with you two of them. So one of them, for Please. example, um, has, has to do with microaggression. So the, the, you know, race and, um, you know, a lot of these issues that we see, um, you know, we're pretty passionate about. And the point, the, the, the point that we took on this was unconscious bias and that type of education is just fantastic. It's great. But where the rubber meets the road is in these day-to-day interactions. When you're at your child's uh, athletic event, when you're in line at the store, or you're caught up in banter, you know, in the office or with your cube mate. So, for example, as I mentioned, I'm Mexican. I'm almost 6'2". I can't tell you, Adam, how many times I've heard, wow, you're Mexican? Are you sure you're Mexican? Wow, you're tall, <laughs> right? The <laughs> unconscious bias. Right? Yeah. The unconscious- uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean... Just because Benito Juarez was extremely short doesn't mean that all Mexicans are four foot eleven. I've met some fairly <laughs> tall Mexicans. I uh, I have friends who are female Mexican entrepreneurs, actually came from Mexico, who are taller than me, and I'm five ten. Ah, very nice. Yeah, exactly. So so again, to your point, right? It's that's where the unconscious bias comes to life. It's in these day to day interactions. The unconscious bias in that case being you know, you're tall and you don't speak with an accent, right? Especially depending yeah. on what area of the country you happen to be in. And so again, you could walk away from this scenario. Or I'm sorry, you could take three paths in that type of scenario, right? In microaggressions. One is you can respond angrily, which doesn't necessarily help the situation or enhance the relationship or your opportunity for collaboration. Number two is you could walk away, not say anything and tell three other people. Now you're amplifying toxicity in the workplace or three what we, what we teach is you engage in the conversation. In this particular case, it's, it's, it's in a feedback conversation. So what we've done with the three-day VR simulations is instead of having a huge course that people go through, in which case they're all looking around the room and smiling, oh, okay, haha, fixed dude, Mexican, I'll never say that. It's how do you give people these scenarios for them to learn by it? And yeah. so a really, a really controversial microaggression, which we love that we did a scenario out of as well, uh, I love it because a lot of people struggle with this one is where someone calls in for a reference on a black employee and the referrer says very excitedly, Oh yeah, he's great. He is articulate. And the referrer responded back to her with, you know, that's really um, offensive. Like what you said is really offensive. And this actually found its way on a very popular blog post because the person asking for the reference who, you know, gave the microaggression didn't understand it. I'm not racist. I've hired a lot of people of color and so on and so forth. So the reason why this is controversial is because a lot of people do respond like that. I refer to everyone as articulate, but the point is, is that in a microaggression, it comes down to, is this a common thread that's heard, right? That black people are, you know, articulate, versus observable behaviors, as we talked about before, Adam, which is, you know, so-and-so demonstrated great leadership amongst their peers. Their arguments were always persuasive in, you know, these key meetings. I would recommend them. So instead of just giving theory, yeah, sorry, please. Yeah, yeah. well, (laughs) when you you think about, uh, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with the, uh, how calling an African-American can be articulate can be insulting and all you have to do is go back to all the banned films from any time before 1970 and you'll see why because Mm -hmm. of the stereotyping Mm -hmm. and 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 everything else i get that i get that too uh however it's also fair to say that i've met white people i've met indian people i've met uh, native american people who we used to call indians Uh, i've met mexicans who i certainly would not describe as articulate so you so mm-hmm. so again, it's completely fair for somebody to say, oh, all I meant by articulate is they speak well. 
It had nothing to do with their right. race or their color. And to that person, that was probably the case. Uh, they exactly. just weren't simply weren't aware that due exactly. to something that had been perpetrated by uh, the media and certain moneyed interests to perpetuate a narrative that specifically targeted one ethnic group, that to that group, the idea of being called articulate is considered to some of them an insult because of the programming that was designed to portray them as being the opposite of articulate that happened to them, but exactly. not anybody, that happened to them, but not to the same degree to other groups. Exactly. And Adam, you did a great job of articulating this. Uh, <laughs> you did a great job of laying this out in a palpable way. Cause you're, you're, you're right. It's, and that's what we say. And we, we teach is, is that you assume good intent. You know what? Adam said something. He wasn't trying to be offensive, but you know, let's engage in this conversation and let's talk about it. And what you're doing there is one is you're enriching the relationship, which will increase our possibilities, uh, probabilities of collaboration. And then two, you're creating a scenario where you come to an understanding. Again, it's that self-awareness piece. So we found that these are great examples for 3D VR simulations because they're in a safe environment. And not only that, but you go through these in 15 minutes or less. That's the other thing too, is you get quickly to the punchline and the guide in the 3D VR simulations gives you feedback on the path that you took and why you took the wrong path or why you took the right path. And what we found in our research is, is that the immersiveness of the scenario, um, you take away a higher um, uh, adoption, if you will, of behavior shifts versus just sitting passively in a classroom. And that data was underscored by Accenture as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, are there any other like real world scenarios that companies can use your technology for? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ones that we're, a few of the ones actually that we're really proud of, and again, just to show you the application is if you take retail employees, they're the most critical touch point for you with your, with your customers. And, and yet a lot of companies won't take them offline to, to train them, um, you know, because of the cost and, you know, so on and so forth. And so early on with a large telecommunication company that has retail locations everywhere, they are having a hard time with COVID where customers are coming in on the either end of the spectrum of, you know, don't shake my hand. Um, don't know what this is. Why are you in my space? To the other side of the spectrum, which was, you know, this is fake. Why do I have to wear a mask? Right. Just really agitated. And yeah. so what they needed to do is they had to deploy training quickly to these populations at scale. So we built for them three scenarios that walk them through how to engage customers on either end of, um, of the spectrum, as well as they're also struggling with some of their employees who were unsure about coming into work or not coming into work. So we were proud because we were able to put these together quickly and they were able to deploy them quickly throughout their whole network um, and, and deploy the training. Well, yeah, I think that I think that'd be really useful. Now, we've discussed the uh, the 3D side of it and, uh, and a bit of the virtual reality. And what I also like about this, I want to use the term gamification, because you mentioned it was mm -hmm. sort of like a game. You select your characters, you select your scenario, and then you play through it. Correct. That's right. And in some of the scenarios, there's literally a bar above the head of the person you're talking with where you can see them if you keep choosing the wrong path, they start getting angrier <laughs> and other ones, uh, depending on, you know, what our clients want us to set up. We don't have that, but instead people will experience the negative outcome. So some of them, an employee will quit on you <laughs> on the spot um, or on others, they'll reveal to you what they're struggling with more. Um, yeah. In other, other scenarios we put together, we actually created more of a guide that walks them through it step-by-step, step, um, you know, kind of like the 101 version and then the 102, 103 version ups the ante as far as them being able to drive the scenarios on their own. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that's also an interesting thing uh, that there's actually a little like meter above them, sort of like when we play other types of video games, like if you, uh, like if you gain or lose health based on your actions or if you're getting close to getting killed off uh, yeah, that, that little meter shows you're, you're 20%, 30%, what have you. So what we're having right here is that you could potentially, by playing the game and engaging in the virtual interaction, you could watch somebody go from 
uh, mildly tiffed to 300% pissed off and ready to clock you. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly correct. And, and the beautiful thing with the way we put them together is we can put these together pretty fast and um, inexpensively for, um, you know, any company. And, and the real key, though, is that we're, we're putting their employees in the scenario, in the environment that they're going to experience, right? For some people, they just want to get to the punchline, right? How do I how do I do this tomorrow versus as we talked about, Adam, giving them like theory and general structures are like, okay, I don't know how to do this, right? So in the telecommunications company I mentioned, we made the environment look just like their retail store, colors, logos, everything. And um, another one that we did during COVID too had to do with nurses and doctors and we put it in a hospital setting and uh, it was really around nurses being able to give feedback to doctors in real time because as you know, they really are the quarterback on the ground floor and during the early days of COVID, things were, uh, things were pretty heavy, right? So we were pretty proud of that work as well. Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly say so. So you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you wanted me to make sure that you shared a case study or an example. If we covered that, I just want to make sure we got it in. If not, uh, let's do it now. Okay, great. I was actually referring more to some of the innovation we released that's, oh, yes. um, around stress. Yeah. <laughs> so so as I mentioned uh, before, um, Adam, we provide these tools for people to engage their environment. And we gave some scenarios where in everyday interactions in the workplace or even at home, you, ha- you, you have certain feelings. So-and-so said something to me. I'm having this feeling. I was very confused. Someone said something offensive to me. Something was unclear. I feel like I'm being overwhelmed. These are feelings that you have. The way they manifest themselves is stress. So I actually hired a chief behavioral science officer who spent the past seven, eight years with the Naval Combat um, and Center for Stress Control, who came in and did research to be able to scientifically, scientifically link people engaging their environment with the tools that we teach with lower stress and better outcomes. And so it's just been incredible work. So then when I had the opportunity to study connected strategy um, out of Wharton, and what connected strategy is a great case study is this. So I'm sure this has happened to you before, Adam, where your printer runs out of ink. <laughs> You're like, okay, great. Let me yeah. open this thing up, find out what cartridge this was. And then you have oh, to yeah. run out, run out to the exactly run out the staples or, you know, go to order one on Amazon. It comes two days later, three days later. It's just a real, real pain in the butt, right? So a connected strategy in that case would be where your printer already knows and it can predict when you're going to run out of that ink. So you have that cartridge at your doorstep when you need it, not a month ahead of time. So you could throw it in a drawer and forget about it. Like I would, right. Or, you know, a week or two later after you already, already ran out of ink. So instead it's how do you predict when you need it? So what we did was we took a step back with our chief behavioral science officer and some of our other key, key folks. And we said, how do we know when our, our customers, our learners need us? So we know that when they're in the moment, they have a biological response, a stress, a response, then how do we detect it? So what we've done is we've backward integrated into wearable devices like a smartwatch, a Fitbit, Jarman, to be able to use continuous heart rate data to be able to tie that to events. So if I said to you, Adam, hey, two days ago at three o'clock, you had your highest stress event. You're like, I don't know where I was. Maybe I was talking to my cat, right? I don't know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so inst- instead, what we do is we've integrated with Outlook calendars and GPS so that you could see at a glance, not only your highest stress event, but where you're at. You're in this meeting, you're talking with this client and so on and so forth. And then from there, you're able to track your themes and either using an AI bot or what we found a live coach you immediately get down to what's, what's happening there. What is happening that's causing you stress? What's the conversation that's missing or the engagement that's missing? So in a nutshell, that's pulse by fears. Oh, wow. See, that's, that's really something. And I, and again, I mean, I think this, you know, just this converse, combination of 3D virtual reality and the gamification aspect of it, that's the part that really intrigues me. Is because okay. we've discovered that through various research over the past years that when the gamification is a powerful teaching tool, due to, I mean, here, here's how here's how I explain it. You know, uh, I was classified as gifted 
when I was in uh, elementary and secondary school, which meant that I, my IQ was all, was tested. I think it was something like 138. So it was pretty high. And I could ace most of my classes with minimal to moderate efforts. But to this day, I still cannot measure an isosceles trapezoid for Y, which means that the disproportionate amount of my energy was taken from me as I was forced to devote most of my educational time to struggling to pass advanced mathematics courses I probably shouldn't have been in. Mm -hmm. See, even then I knew that whatever I chose to do in life, it would not involve trigonometry or algebra because I hated those subjects and my brain is simply not wired to process data in that way. It just doesn't work. And I want proof of that. Uh, the, in secondary school, the highest I went was a course called Trigonometry and College Algebra. Um, I, uh, uh, I refused to go to calculus. I wasn't interested in it. And I, and I pulled up the state's guidelines for what were the requirements for me to get my, uh, my educational certificate, meaning my diploma. And it said I only needed three credits in mathematics. At Trig and College Algebra, I had the three. I refused to take a fourth. So I went, to, mm-hmm. went, went out to college at Penn State. Uh, turned in my transcript and see the funny thing they do there. And a lot of universities do this is they say, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, why don't we have you take a proficiency test to see where you really are? So I took a proficiency proficiency test and guess what? It was recommended to me that I take remedial math. However, if I wanted a challenge, it was suggested with a significant amount of help and tutoring. There were two classes that I could take to fulfill my general education requirement at Penn State. Want to guess what they were? <laughs> Trigonometry and college Trigonometry. algebra. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I did so I so yeah. I did this. So I did the same level of stuff. Now, now there were two separate classes this time. And I had and the same woman was my instructor for both of them. And she was by all measures a, a pretty good instructor. Now with trigonometry, the trigonometry course, I I still had that same level of pain. And I still couldn't understand it. And I still uh, was deficient in it while I was acing just about everything else. And I was still spending a disproportionate amount of time on something that I couldn't process, wasn't designed to do, and couldn't stand. Only to mm-hmm. barely pass it. Meanwhile, missing out on the joys and fun of all the stuff that I actually wanted to study. So the next semester, I took college algebra. I had the same instructor. And I decided to try a different tack. I, and I told her that, you know, candidly, I have no interest in this. This has nothing to do with what I'm going to, whatever career path I choose. I guarantee that I'm not going to need this skill. And if the skill is needed, I'm going to hire somebody who has it. That's guaranteed. So what do I need to do to pass this course with the minimum amount of effort? And she understood. Uh, she didn't try and lecture me on the importance of understanding and having a well-rounded education. She just simply said, well, focus a lot of energy on doing well in the weekly quizzes. That way you don't have to cram as much information into your mind. That was her advice. It oh worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked. And I got through, I got a B plus for that semester and I was aiming just to pass it. I still don't remember mm-hmm. anything. I still don't remember anything about uh, college algebra, but it was easier. Now, and the reason took now, a lot of your energy, right? Now, the reason I took this detour, it goes back to education. Why I think gamification is so powerful. When people said to me, well, you know, you're going to need this when you grow up and get a job. I, I could say confidently, no, I won't. And, and, and here I am. We're, we're well nigh 30 years later. I still have never needed this stuff. Now, somebody tried to tell me that when I built my competition level stereo system for my 1988 Camaro when I was in college, that I used trigonometry and college algebra to uh, design the subwoofer enclosures and figure out the uh, kick panels and the ohms and the, 
and the uh, SPLs and all all the other stuff con- associated with competition auto sound and you know wire gauges, how many amps the alternator needed to put out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Grounds. And I said, no, I didn't use trigonometry in college algebra. I found somebody else who had used it and followed the charts that they made. <laughs> I still don't get it. I just, I just, fi- I just figured out, uh, you know, what wire gauge we needed for this application. And I used other people's charts and other people's research to determine that I needed a separate battery for the system. And I then did further research to figure out that uh, I needed to install an inline dual battery isolator between the alternator and the two batteries. Yeah, I understand advanced mathematics went into all that, but I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 pay, I paid money for a magazine that explained it. Mm-hmm. So, however, now what if somewhere in the educational process, I had the opportunity to play a game that involved solving an isosceles trapezoid for Y? And imagine if it didn't exactly have those labels on it, but it was the same form and function. Exactly. Is it, is, mm-hmm. it possible, is it possible that I might not have burned four years of my life being miserable for something that to this day I have zero understanding of? Mm-hmm. That's, yes, that's exactly. That right there is the crux of why I had you on here today, Edward, is because I wanted to illustrate how the use of these technologies can help us Mm -hmm. when it comes to these communications issues, because it gives us a chance to role play them in real time and therefore discover things that we say sometimes in the spirit of actually meaning well and believing that we are saying well, like for example, Calling some, saying somebody was articulate. I mean, on the surface, how is that? How is it possibly an insult to say that somebody speaks well? How is that an insult? Mm-hmm. But when you have the context, you understand how yep. it can be perceived differently. Put that in a game, and maybe people gain those understandings before they have to deal with live humans on it. You got it. It's totally right. That's exactly correct. Yeah. And, now, you know, as we talk, uh, please, I'm please, sorry, no, go no, ahead. please, no, after you. No, no, I'm I was not going to say, and, 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 you know, the interpersonal skills are critical, right? And a lot of people learn from making mistakes, but sometimes they're critical mistakes as it pertains to dealing with people. So 3D VR simulation, similar to the example you gave, um, you know, with, uh, you know, trigonometry and algebra, um, gets people in those scenarios so that they, they, they learn from quickly. Like, here's what I avoid or here's what I say to amplify it and get them to it fast, like how they respond. So yeah, I was yeah. disagreeing with you there. I mean, I mean, I mean, another example is if you think back a few years to Papa John's when the founder of Papa John's was forced out because there were recordings of him saying the N word. Now he, he stated that he was using it as an example during a corporate training exercise on diversity. And when you play back the tapes, that's actually what was going on. But yet mm-hmm. some people, whether by willfulness or by programming or by the lens of their own truth to their own eyes based on their own experiences, thought that he was being derogatory. I have an opinion on that. I'm not going to share it on this show because it's mine. It, it reflects my mm-hmm. truth. But you can already see how there are a couple different sides to that story and a couple different interpretations. Uh, I will say for the I will say for the record that I do believe that he felt that he was simply participating in a diversity training exercise. I can also mm-hmm. see how somebody who didn't have that context could view it as being something way different. And I think mm-hmm. on both sides of the scenario, there was missing context on all sides that everybody missed. And that's why it became, that's why it became an issue. And had that mm-hmm. context been there in the first place, they could have guided the entire exercise and the entire conversation differently so that it had a different result. That's just my view. Mm-hmm. Some listeners may disagree yeah, with me on that, and that's perfectly fine. 
Yeah, no, I, I, um, I understand exactly what you're saying, Adam. And that's what, um, you know, for, for the interpersonal pieces that we, we, we teach, right? Like 90% of the time, there's a misunderstanding instead of it being uh, binary, right? Like, uh, you know, Adam, you're offensive to me. It's let's, uh, let's explore this a little bit together, right? Yeah. And not make assumptions, not ruin your reputation and get a better understanding. And so what we found from the research, as I mentioned, 90% of the time it's a misunderstanding and then it enriches the relationship and collaboration going forward. So it's just a matter of engaging on it. Well, yeah. And, and, and now gamify that. And think about how much better it would be for everybody involved to irritate a, a character in a game and let their anger level go up to 100 and be able to inquire with the game and be given feedback as to why, as opposed exactly. to doing that to a live human being, even if you have the best of intentions, don't even recognize that there's additional context and potentially having it set your career or your business back by years, if not permanently. Yeah, no, you, you hit it right on the, you hit it right on the nose. And, you know, even for people who are younger in their careers, there's certain things that you're just not skilled on the handle that could change the, traje- the trajectory of your career. Right. So for example, when I came up in my career, the thought of giving negative feedback or pushing back on your boss wasn't going to happen. But now that I'm later in my career, I see the tools, I know what works. There's a science behind how you do it in a conducive way. And as you mentioned, the great realignment, a lot of times it could be avoided if the culture supported that, which was transparency, uh, providing feedback, engaging in conversation. Um, It would make a huge difference on both the organization's outcome and the individual's. Right, right, right. Now, there's one thing I want to make sure we covered. And I honestly, Edward, because we've covered so many things, cannot remember if we got there or not. There's something you mentioned to me in the green room before we started here. Uh, It's called the API for human communication and the elements of that. Did we cover that? (laughs) No, we didn't. Um, Let's do it now. But thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. So, uh, so again, getting a little technical here, but uh, like computers, the way they basically talk to each other is through something called API, which is application protocol interface. And it's more of like a way of sharing data in a conducive manner. So the analogy taking it one step further, you could put two computers together right next to each other and they look the same and they should communicate, but unless you have that API correct, they're not going to do it. So the analogy that we've used, actually someone in a large tech company (laughs) told me this and, and it made so much sense is what we do is we provide that API between people. It's a, it's a dance, it's a rhythm, it's a way of engaging, it's a way of share, sharing information, of coming closer together, how to collaborate. And, um, and I just love that analogy. So yeah, that's what it means, the API of human-to-human human, human human connection. Yeah, I, 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 think that's, I think that's really great. So uh, at this point, you know, we are kind of near uh, the top of the hour here, so we're just about ready to wrap up. So what I want to do here is I want to I accomplish a couple things as we as we wrap up. One of which is, is I want to, first of all, express my appreciation for giving me the opportunity and our listeners the opportunity by proxy to sort of geek out on this a little bit. I did not know (laughs) up until today, and I actually tend to keep up on this stuff, that there was a fierce solution from your company, Fierce, that allows for this opportunity to solve cultural challenges in corporate environments and alleviate stress in communications and work on the culture. And this is something that I think is very badly needed. More people need to know about it. And I am honored that you were uh, willing to come play with us and give me the opportunity to share your message. Uh, For those who are listening right now and are leaning in, wanting to discover more, the website that you should visit is... uh, Fierce Inc. F I E R C E I N C dot com, and when you get to that website, you will discover how these software applications work. You'll uh, also have the opportunity to see some different training programs and resources that can help you as a leader in your company. Whether it's an entrepreneurial venture, whether it's a startup, whether it's something that deals entirely with 
remote, remote virtual team contractors, whether you're Fortune 500 or Fortune 100, mid-size, whatever it is, because as I say before, as I said before, and I'll say again and again and again, as soon as you got somebody working for you, you got a culture. Even when it's just you, even when you're solopreneurial, there is a culture there that's impacted by your personality and that can have impacts outside of what you do inside your office or wherever it is you uh, go hide with your laptop and work every day. So final thoughts here uh, from Edward. Uh, For those who find themselves in situations where they still need to figure out how they could invest in something like Fierce or uh, they don't really know anything about uh, 3D or VR or gamification and how to use that to impact their culture. Let's just say there's somebody right now who's a business leader who's having a cultural problem. What's the first piece of advice you would give them? Something that they can do right now to begin to move that needle even just a little bit. Yeah, I think the first thing that a leader can do is make sure that people understand that they are the culture. The interactions that they have, the conversations they're having or not having are what's dictating what's happening or not happening in their culture. And uh, you don't have to use this analogy, but I think really bringing to life that our company, this company, is not ran by a wizard, a magical wizard behind a curtain that comes up with all the answers. It's collectively success. It's collective success is built upon each individual and the synergies across those individuals. I think just reinforcing those themes is so important. I think people then accepting that, what you'll see is you'll see, oh, okay, this is why these are things that aren't happening. They don't have the skills or the knowledge on how, as we talked about, how to give feedback, when it's proper to confront, when it's proper to escalate to HR, to managers, or um, how to hold people accountable, for example. Right, right. Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing with that. And Edward Beltran, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Adam, really appreciate you being on your show. Really appreciate the time and the conversation. And I must say, you're definitely a gifted individual. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. <laughs> and, 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 it's very and, clear. And, and likewise, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.